health services to people in northern and eastern Maine since 1984. Insurance, Maine Care, self-pay accepted, and reduced fees for uninsured clients. MabelWadsworth.org. Hey, I'm Fritz, host of the Blues Station here in WERU. I'm here every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 4 playing blues from all around the world. Yes, all around the world. What? Blues from Norway? Blues from Sweden? Denmark? Finland? Yep, you bet. As well as Italy, Spain, England, and a whole lot more. From coast to coast here in the U.S. and all the way over to Australia and Southeast Asia. The blues comes in many forums these days, and I love to spin them all right here on the Blues Station every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 4 on WERU-FM or online at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Pine Tree Yarns, specializing in local dyed and hand-spun yarns by Maine Fiber Artisans for knitting, rug hooking, and spinning projects in Damariscotta, Maine, 563-5003 or on the web at pinetreeyarns.com. And you are listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. The time is just about 10 o'clock. Main Current Special coming up with your host, Amy Brown. And good morning. This is Main Current's independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. We have switched days this week. Normally, we would be airing tomorrow on the first Thursday of the month, but we switched days because we have some guests in the studio who are available today to do a program that we really wanted to bring you before the election about question one. We have people here from both sides of the issue. We've heard from a few of our listeners that people still have questions about what question one means. And uh, so we wanted to give you a chance to ask some of those questions and hear from the people who are promoting it and the people who do not support it. You've probably noticed the uh, campaign signs along the side of the road. Uh, there are uh, among them some red and black signs that simply read, Stop the Scam, Vote No One Won. And in recent days popping up next to some of those are signs with arrows saying, The nursing home lobby paid for this sign. Uh, some of our listeners uh, have wondered what those signs mean as well, and we're hoping we can clear all of that up today. We're going to hear from both of our guests. They're each going to take up to uh, 10 minutes to give you some background information about where they stand for or against this, and then we'll open the phone lines and take your calls and your questions. Ballot question one reads, quote, do you want to create the universal home care program to provide home-based assistance to people with disabilities and senior citizens regardless of income, funded by a new 3.8% tax on individuals and families with main wage and a grossed, adjusted gross income above the amount subjected to Social Security taxes, which is $128,400 in 2018, close quote. Mike Tipping is the communication director of Mainers for Home Care, the people promoting question one, and you may also recognize his voice from uh, the Beacon podcast from the Maine People's Alliance, <coughs> excuse me, which airs here on WERU. He's here with us in the studio. Uh, welcome, Mike. 
Welcome, and thank you for the podcast plug. <laughs> and uh, Jeff Austin is the vice president of the Maine Hospital Association. MHA is a member of a coalition of home care, health care, and business groups that are opposed to Question 1 and behind the Stop the Scam campaign. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for having me. So we've decided ahead of time that Mike is going to go first and tell us what this is, why they're supporting it, why they're promoting it. And when he's done, we'll hear from Jeff. And then, like I said, we'll open the phone call, phone lines and take your phone calls. So go ahead. Great. Well, thank you so much for hosting a conversation on such an important issue ahead of the election on Tuesday. Um, question one, at its core, is about a crisis that we're facing as a state. So everyone in Maine knows that we are the oldest state in the country, and we're getting older. Uh, between 2015 and 2030, we're actually looking at a 51% increase in people over the age of 65. And right now, too many families are facing impossible choices trying to keep their loved ones at home, and too many seniors and veterans and people with disabilities are being forced from their homes when they don't have to be and when they don't want to be. So question one is a guarantee. It means that if you need help staying at home, you can get it. If you need help with at least one activity of daily living, you can get the home care you need to stay in your home. It's paid for in part because that's more efficient to keep people at home rather than put them in facilities, but also by a tax on the wealthiest 2.6%, people that right now uh, pay nothing on income over $128,000, uh, $128,400 in personal income. The rest of us pay a 6.2% payroll tax on everything we make up to that point, and those making more than that pay nothing on that, that amount above 128400 So this, in many ways, to me, it, it reminds me of the climate change debate. You know, we have this looming crisis. We know what, what the problem is here. We're seeing the physical and personal and human effects of it at this moment. And we also have really great experts that have told us what we can do to stop it. And the biggest thing is investing in home care. And it's not just important for those people that receive services, but for the workforce as well. Right now, the home care workers uh, in that industry, we're seeing turnover of 67% a year. They make just at or just above minimum wage. And while they're caring for others doing that vital work, they often can't even support their own families. And this will invest in those workers, raise wages, create opportunities, increase training, and make sure that we have good jobs doing that vital work in rural uh, places all over the state of Maine. All right. Thank you, Mike Tipping. Jeff Austin, you're up next. Thank you. I'm proud to be here on behalf of a broad-based coalition of Maine entities that oppose question one and would urge your voters to vote no in November. The coalition is very broad and unusual in Maine. It spans a gamut from chambers of commerce and traditional retail and hotel and tourist industries, but it also includes a notable number of healthcare-related industries, particularly the Home Care Association for those with disabilities and the Home Care Association for those who are elderly. All oppose this initiative. There are two main reasons, uh, categories of reasons why we oppose the initiative. The first is the tax increase. This will give Maine a highest tax rate of about 11%. It takes our highest tax rate from its current rate of 7, just over 7%, to 10.95%. That would be the highest tax rate in the country for individuals, small businesses, and families uh, for most of the people affected by this tax. Only when you get 
at much higher incomes up over a million to other states like California have a tax that's anywhere close to this. So we are very concerned about giving Maine, a relatively poor state, the highest tax rate in the country and a significant $300 million tax increase. The state economist analyzed the impact that this would have. No one knows for sure. It's predicting the future. Uh, but the state economist who has experience in this has looked at it and issued a good report that we would encourage people to review that shows it would damage our economy, reduce our personal income, and would even reduce our population, which has seen an uptick recently, which is good. That's not the only reason we have concerns with question one and why we oppose it. The second category of reasons is the program that's being set up itself. We don't believe, our coalition does not believe, that if you were to try to address the issue of home care, that you would set up a program, anything like what is proposed in question one. And the reason we don't think anyone would ever set up a program like this is that no one has ever set up a program like this. No state has a program like this. No one has tried it. This is an experiment. Once again, Maine is being asked to raise its taxes to fund an experiment that has never been tried anywhere, never been shown to work. Once we get into the weeds, which I assume we will a little bit with your callers, there are a number of areas that we could point to. Violation of privacy for patients. Uh, untargeted and unfocused government program that would be available to non-residents and even millionaires. A lack of accountability for this brand new bureaucracy that we've never seen before. Uh, and on and on I could go. So for both the damage it would do to our economy and due to the fact that we think the program is unfocused, unworkable, and will ultimately be ineffective, this coalition opposes question one and would urge your listeners to vote no. All right. So like you mentioned, there are weeds or a lot of different uh, uh, factors in the reasons why your organization is opposing this. There's also a lot more involved in what it would provide. So we'll get into some of that. <coughs> Excuse me. But we will open the phone lines and start taking calls at this time as well. The phone number into the studio is 469-0500. Again, 469-0500 if you're local. And uh, we do have a caller already. Go ahead, caller. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, it's David. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Hey, David. Uh, yeah, I have a question about the, uh, the bureaucracy aspect of it. Uh, first, let me say that I am certainly not against higher tax and if that drives the rich out of the state well so be it but uh the second thing i'd like to question i don't expect feedback on that uh but i would like some feedback on my own uh personal experience uh three or four years ago taking care of uh, my wife's uncle in home uh where we were able to hire a pretty well organized staff which consisted of friends of ours uh, who are willing to work for a minimum wage and who are able to do a perfectly adequate job of taking care of dear Uncle Herb without having to have any uh, training, certification, uh, institutional backing at all. And I'm concerned that should we give the institution, some institution, I'd like to hear more about exactly what this kind of institution is, but should we give it the power to take care of our elders how about the people like my friends who are maybe too far behind the eight ball or too uh, uh, compromised in one way or another to 
uh, become certified uh, uh, in order to get a little bit higher wage? And how about the lack of uh, local control? Like my wife administered the program, and uh, she it was a fair amount of work, but she had some very good help from a, a state uh, 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 coordinator. And, uh, it, you know, the thing flew pretty nicely, I have to say. And I'm, I'm worried that as we uh, get uh, more institutionalized in the operation of a system such as this, uh, it might become uh, limiting and exclusive uh, to a lot of the people who really uh, would be most able to uh, benefit from the program and offer really good you know, like caring, one-on-one, you know, uh, friendship kind of help to, to elders. You don't need to be, you know, too highly trained in order to do this work. Okay, David, thank you. Thank you for your call. We're going to uh, let our guests answer that. We have another caller waiting. I think uh, that just kicks off where I would have asked my first question, which is what exactly does this program entail and how about natural supports? And this is Mike Tipping. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this caller gets right to the heart of the question, which is making sure we have the flexibility to address this issue. One of the things that the opposition doesn't like about this is that there's a board that oversees the program that's made up of home care workers, agencies, and actually the families that are receiving care. And the point of that is that it can be flexible. It can be efficient. It can be responsive to these things, and it can help in exactly the kinds of situations that David is talking about. So there's not just support for home care workers, but for family support as well. Um, Another example, my wife works in home health care as an occupational therapist, and she's told me just awful stories about people that are forced out of their home, not because they can't get care to stay there, but because they can't get a ramp built um, or they can't get a grab bar in the shower. And we really need to look at this holistically, you know, and have that flexibility to make sure that it's, it's there. So would this program allow for funding for those kinds of things? Absolutely. And also, uh, would it provide reimbursement for natural supports? Yeah, and, and family caregivers, um, you know, Jeff right. has said that this has not been done anywhere else. Well, similar programs to that have been uh, proposed or implemented in Washington. There's a great one in Hawaii. They call it Kapuna Care. Kapuna is, is Native Hawaiian for grandmother. Um, you know, there are some really good examples that we, we look to here and that some of the, the experts that wrote this um, and the, the home care workers that were uh, had a lot of input in this put into it. And I would say also a lot of home care agencies also support this. There are some that don't, um, as Jeff noted, and there are a lot of those that are tied to facilities, the nursing home lobby hates this um, and has been arguing pretty strongly against it. Uh, They don't like the idea of people um, being protected from being forced out of their homes, and the hospitals and other facilities have as well. Uh, Before we go to the next call, just quickly, Jeff Austin from Maine Hospital Association, do you have concerns about uh, these, I'm going to call them natural supports, you know, the people in the family who are able to care? not having training and uh, I mean there must be some situations where it'd be good for somebody in that situation to have some training and supervision and oversight. Your caller is right to be concerned about the impact of question one on the existing programs. I think that's what the caller's point was and I would agree with them and here's why. We have home care programs in the state of Maine now, several of them, both for the elderly and for the disabled. Those programs are regulated. They're operating efficiently. They're not always as well-funded as they could be, but they are working. This new initiative would set up a brand-new board that would be authorized 
to regulate home care. It is right in the duties. They shall establish standards and regulations for home care. No one knows what those regulations are. There's nothing in the bill that explains them, the source of them. Uh, would they uh, be consistent with the ones we have today or not, or would it be a whole second set of regulations for this brand new program? So the caller is right to be concerned that the care that his uncle Herb had received uh, might now be disrupted because of a whole new set of bureauc bureaucratic regulations that would come from this board. That is right in the initiative. Second, he talks about how his family cared for his uncle. This initiative would declare, without his family members' input, permission, or authorization, they would be declared state workers. That's absolutely not true. They are not state workers. That's not they true. would be part of the state workers. I, I, didn't no, interrupt, I didn't interrupt Mr. Tipping when he <clears throat> made erroneous statements, such as people don't pay any taxes over 128000 He said that. That's untrue. I didn't interrupt him. It says at the end of the bill that for purposes of collective bargaining, workers in this program are considered state employees. That is factual. That is in the bill. So you, you, your family will be regulated without your permission and be labeled for some mysterious reason a state worker without your permission. So you, could, you do have good reason to be concerned. Let me also clarify. Mr. Tipping misspoke. I wish you would let us speak for our concerns instead of him characterizing them or, or mischaracterizing them. We have no objection to boards composed of workers and families, none whatsoever. Our concern is with a board where the people who serve in those capacities have no public accountability. We have plenty of boards where people from industries and the general public can serve, but there is a layer of public accountability namely appointment by an elected official who's accounted to the people through democracy. All right, let's take another call. Let's make sure we get as many calls from listeners in so that people get their uh, specific questions answered. Go ahead, caller. What's your first name and where are you calling from, please? Yes, my name's David, another David. I'm from Belfast. Hi, David. Uh, yes, I, I just wanted to quickly point out I'm driving down the roads and recently and see this sign that says, Stop the Scam. And I, I don't know what, what scam. So I, I, I found out it was about question one. So I studied the, the situation. And I just want to point out that I discovered that there is no scam. There's an attempt to solve, deal with a crisis. I belong to an organization called the Waldo County Triad that deals with scams that are perpetrated on the elderly. And that, those are scams, you know, and they're, they're abundant. This is not a scam. This is an attempt, and I'm sure when it, if it is passed, it will be debated. And many of the issues that we're listening to now will be debated in the legislature. We can see that the legislature doesn't just pass um, referendums, right? what happened with education. It's debated, and, it, and it's looked over. So I would like to encourage people to vote for question one. All right. Thank you very much. Thank Goodbye. you to both of the Davids for calling in. If you're just joining us, this is Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown. Joining me in the studio today, we have people on both sides of question one on the ballot that you'll be seeing on Tuesday. We have Mike Tipping, who is with uh, Mainers for Home Care, supporters, proponents of question one. And we have Jeff Austin from Maine Hospital Association, part of the uh, coalition. Uh, both of these groups represent coalitions, but his coalition is opposed to question one. Why call this a scam? 
Right. Let me take both of the points. This uh, is Jeff. Let me take the second point first about that the legislature will take this up and debate it. That's not guaranteed. There is no guarantee that once this becomes law, anything will happen to it. Not a, not a period, not a comma, not a sentence. Uh, will it be debated? It might be. But your listeners cannot expect uh, that the legislature will necessarily come in and fix the problems that are associated with it. But so what that are was the chances? I mean, there are like 12 pages of this that go beyond the question that's going to be on the ballot and the rules-making process. I mean, they will go through those pieces and The rules-making would have to happen. But if it's a statutory problem, the rule can't fix a statute. So to the extent there are statutory problems, and we believe there are many, uh, the public cannot rest assured that those will get cleaned up by the legislature. That was his, that was his latter point. Okay. Uh, but why call it a scam? I right. mean, a scam implies some kind of bad intent. Right. So it is pretty strong language, uh, particularly for our groups and for referendums in Maine. But we believe there are some pretty distasteful things going on. On the website of the proponents, simultaneously – they said that the tax would only apply to individuals and yet said it would raise $300 million. That's telling the public that the benefit is huge, $300 million, but the, the people paying the tax are relatively small. Those two things cannot simultaneously be true, and they know it. And that's why, one reason why, we think it's a scam. So to that point, just to clarify for, for listeners, it's been uh, – it's been further clarified that this would apply to couples, not just individuals making over $128,400, but if a couple together makes $128,400, correct? Well, it's it's very clear, and everyone's agreed that that's not the intent of the this legislation. The LePage administration has said they would interpret it that way. Obviously, we're that happy to stipulate that intent. that wouldn't be the intent. I'm sure the opposition would say they wouldn't want that either. Um, so I, I feel like that is a non-issue. It's on individuals over that income. I, I don't know what the phrase everyone agrees means. I'm sorry, or, you want to tax more people? Or what, ev or what intent means. Typically, legislative intent is determined by reviewing public testimony, the legislative record, which is composed of the debate that's recorded on the Senate and House floor. None of that happened with this bill. There was no public hearing. There was no debate in the House. There was no debate in the, in the Senate. In fact, the only thing that got debated in the House and Senate was whether to have a public hearing. So to declare intent when it's the voters at the ballot box enacting this, not the legislation, is literally impossible to do. They may uh, the proponents may have an opinion, but for months and months, they told all of us that we were lying, that this only applied to individuals when the objective observers, the attorney general's office, the secretary of state, and the people uh, who write the fiscal notes do the estimation of what this will bring in, all disagreed with them and agreed with us. That's part of a scam, in our opinion. This is beyond mere disagreement or competing interpretations. To maintain that position for as long as they did, we think was inappropriate. So just on, yeah, let me Mike respond Yeah, Mike, quickly, and then we have another caller. So, I mean, the idea that the Chamber of Commerce and the Hospital Association and this whole crew that has been against any tax increase on the wealthy, that fought against the one for education and everything else, would then go in the legislature and argue for a tax to affect more people after this passes is ludicrous. We never and did. every independent observer has said the same. I mean, the Press Herald, which did not endorse uh, question one, said that the opposition is relying on scare tactics here, some of the same ones you've heard, that they are practicing dishonesty, and that Maine deserves better than these kinds of lies about the taxes, lies about privacy, and about these other issues. Well, well, now, let's, let's take another call. 
Let's go ahead to another caller. Go ahead. What's your first name? Where are you calling from, please? Hi, it's the Analog Anarchist from Dover Foxcroft. Hello. I'm a veteran and a senior. Uh, it sounded like it might be a good idea until you got to that 6% payroll tax. Uh, that's not going to fly. We're too poor already. Thank you. Good day. All right. Well, thank you. Just Mike to Kepping. be clear, the rest of us currently pay 6.2 or 12.4 combined with employer side on the payroll tax. People right now making more than $128,400 pay nothing in that payroll tax. That is correct, <laughs> despite what Jeff might have said. Um, and so this would put a 1.9% payroll tax on income over that amount only. So it makes things a little bit more fair. Those folks in that top 2.6% currently pay a lower effective tax rate than the rest of us. So okay, once, you, on. once you make more than a certain amount, uh, for listeners who haven't researched this, and maybe a lot of you already know this, but I had to look it up, once you earn beyond a certain amount, your cap for your Social Security uh, deduction, there's a cap for how much is uh, taken out for Social Security because there's a cap on how much Social Social Security you can receive back. And what you're talking about is people who have reached that cap uh, would be taxed by this 1.9% from them directly and 1.9% from their employer. Is that correct? That's the way that it's stated that it's supposed to work. That's right. So okay. if you're making $130,000 a year, you'd pay $30 a year. Okay. Tax. J- Jeff Austin. So first of all, for the for the listeners, we're, we're confusing them, I believe. I He's introducing so. <laughs> the concept of federal taxation, which we do not control, and mixing that message with state income taxation, which we do control. State income taxes are paid at the rate of 7% on everything, I believe, over $50,000. State income taxes are paid at the rate of 7%. It does not escape taxation, which is what Mr. Tipping said in his opening statement. He has now clarified it to mean payroll taxation. So taxes, you were not. Taxes were, are being paid on that amount. That will, this initiative would take this rate to 11%. It is not true that it's 1.9%. It is 3.8%. Some people may have their employer pay a portion of it. Most of the people affected by this tax will not get any help from their employer. Why? They will be fully responsible for the tax because in order for your employer to pay the 1.9% share that's in the law, that's in the proposed bill, you have to individually make more than the threshold. Most of the people affected by this do not individually make the amount over the threshold. Most of the taxpayers who will be affected individually make less. So you and your spouse individually make less. But when you combine your incomes, you're over the threshold. At the end of the year, you're going to get a big April surprise. Your employer paid nothing. You're responsible for the full amount you'll be paying that 3.8% tax. So again, that's for uh, either individuals or couples, and it sounds like that question, you disagree on whether or not that's actually been resolved, but the cap is $128,400 right now based on 2017's cap on Social Security income. How, uh, uh, Joel, do we have any callers waiting? Okay, uh, the phone number if you wanna call in if you have any questions about question one on Maine's ballot is 4690500 again 4690500 this is main currents uh so can i say something real thing uh, let me I let me finish to... that question though uh, if i can finish that thought how many people would that apply to in the state uh if it's individual and if it's uh based on combined income of a family yeah, and I'd love to respond to a few of the things Jeff has brought up here Okay, as well. it sounds like Jeff wants to say some yeah. things too, so we'll wait for a caller to come in. You guys well, have at it. Sure. So, I mean, it, 
Jeff said that the current system and programs are working well. I, I don't think there are many that would agree with that. We have huge unmet need. There are huge wait lists even on those programs that exist. There's a great report from the Muskie School that came out a few weeks ago. People can go if they're really into this and go look in depth at 70 pages exactly on how this could be implemented. Expanding existing programs, drawing down additional federal funding for that, and then also creating programs to fill in the gaps and make sure everyone is covered. So there's absolutely the flexibility in this program to make sure that nothing is disrupted, but that the guarantee is there and that the care is there. And as part of that, um, there's a good answer to your question there. It's like, who needs this care and, and what is happening? The Muskie School estimates that 27,000 people right at this moment have the conditions that they would need this kind of in-home care, and only about 6,000 people are being treated through existing programs. And how many people would the tax apply to? The tax would apply to the top 2.6% wealthiest in the state. So Okay. And we have a caller, but I want to let uh, Jeff Austin from yeah, Maine Hospital Association. Oh, Mike Tipping, you have one more thought there, and then we'll let well, uh, I mean, Jeff Austin. Well, so, I mean, this is, the, this is the strategy they punch. They throw out a 1,000 things, and each one I have to knock down, you know, with the facts, and it takes a little longer than their scare tactics, um, as the press carol called them. Um, so I, just on this... No one would be forced into a union. Anyone listening to this that has been following politics or the Supreme Court case knows that's not true. Can't I didn't possibly say that. happen. I never said it. Well, your side has said that many times. Well, let's have the conversation we're having this morning. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm happy if you're happy to stipulate to that, that no one would be forced to be uh, treated as a state employee or a member of it. That's labor not union. true. What you just said is factually untrue. They will they be forced be, to be state employees. No, only <laughs> for the aspect that they would have the right to, to join or form a union if they wanted to. Okay, quickly, uh, what would you like to, to say, uh, Jeff Austin, Maine Hospital Association, and then we have a caller waiting? Uh, flexibility should be heard by your listeners as code for promising without delivering. The bill is very unclear in how this is going to work, and that allows them to promise a lot of things like universality and guarantee. I heard that term in the opening, that we're going to guarantee coverage. The by its own terms, question one anticipates wait lists and making people wait. There are no guarantees in this. There are no certainties in this. There's a lot of promises. And when Mr. Tipping points to flexibility, he points to the fact that this is aspirational. We hope to do a lot of things. We're going to promise to do a lot of things in a campaign. Whether or not they can deliver, uh, I'm not so sure about that. It is not inconsistent to say that the current programs are working well and to say that there might be more we can do. They're not inconsistent. He tried to characterize my statement as meaning nothing more can be done. I never said that, and I never implied it. More certainly could be done. But Mainers believe in helping those in need. And the programs we have today, both in Medicaid, which draws down federal funding, and those that are state-funded only, are targeted to the most needy. And I am sure with my experience, although I am not an expert in home care, that Mainers will continue to build on the good programs we have today, but they're going to expect that they are targeted to those who are in need. Out-of-state residents with uncapped income are not those most Mainers would determine are in need, and yet those are the very people who could be served by this program. Most Mainers will consider that wasteful government program as a co as as opposed to compassionate and targeted. Okay, so what, what uh, uh, Jeff Austin is referring to there is that anyone, regardless of income and residency, uh, could uh, qualify for this if they need uh, assistance with at least one activity of daily living. Those are things like bathing and, and dressing and caring for yourself. We have a caller. Thank you for your patience. What's your name and where are you calling from, please? Uh, my name is Peter. I uh, call from Bangor. Hi, Peter. Uh, business in Bangor. And 
I had a question about the scam when I heard the the other caller call. I had the, I had the same thought when I saw that 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 seemed to be an extreme statement. So what I did is I downloaded two things. I downloaded the uh, the actual uh, question, and then I downloaded Ballopedia. And when I downloaded Ballopedia, I found out that incredibly all the money initially at least was coming from the SEIU George Soros groups. I had to look that up to figure out what that was too. Was that uh, the money in favor? Yes, this yes uh, on one, and that secondly, that um, when I looked at it, like the one hundred twenty-eight thousand dollar tax. I mean that he says that people don't pay uh, the, the, the richer people don't pay over that amount. That's not a tax. I mean that's like paying. So when you pay into Social Security, you, as you said, you get the money back. I mean it's so misleading to me, and this is scam like to say that they don't pay it. I mean, of course you don't pay it because you don't get it back. And then when you go on to this, when you have one page that talks about the health care or the home care, then you get about 10 pages or eight or nine that talk about how that you can send send out people's names. If you just get as little as 100 signatures from people who receive the benefits, you can send out those people's names, information, and contact info without them having anything to say about it unless they positively do it. It's not like it's supposed to be where you have to ask them and get them to sign affirmatively. It is extremely scam-like. I mean, that's, so I came away from that saying, this is so misleading, it puts $300 million, which, by the way, another scam, when you say $300 million, to get to $300 million, you have to be talking dual incomes. And the Secretary of State is a Democrat, and he put it down as families. How can there's so many so much dishonesty here on this? Yes, on one, regardless of how you don't like the way. In fact, even that sign with the arrow um, that says this is paid for by the Maine Hospital uh, Lobbying Association or Nursing Home Association. You know what they gave? I, I called up. They gave fifty dollars. I, I just find this whole thing extremely distasteful, and it's just money from out of state using us as a test thing again to. To, to, put, to put forth a way to get money and power out of the hands of the state and into a small group of self-elected people. I'll hang up and listen to your response. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. And you bring up a couple of good issues that uh, we definitely need to talk about. Let's start with who is funding each side. And we'll start, obviously, with the proponents of question one. Mike Tipping is here uh, on that side of the question. Who is funding this and why? So we are happy to have support from charities across the country that have given to this, including from workers' groups and from the Open Society Foundation, which is funded by, by George Soros and his family. And they have done incredible work on health care across the country and across the world, including fighting the opioid epidemic, epidemic here in Maine. And I think it's just awful that the other side has tried to demonize George Soros and that kind of, of work. We've also received contributions from more than 5,000 individual Mainers who have given an average of $22 each, um, first to put this on the ballot and then to make sure that it passes. We've been outspent by the opposition. They have very few individual contributions. Almost all of theirs is from corporate PACs and, and lobbyists. Like well, let's let, let him talk about where all theirs right. comes well, from. I'll, I'll so, all right, yeah, and we'll take these things point by point. So funders, who is uh, funding the No on One Stop the Scam campaign? Our I'm not on the Jeff that, Austin from Maine Hospital Association. I'm not intimately involved with the fundraising aspect, but I believe 95% of our money comes from Maine. Maine businesses, large and small, Maine individuals across the state. Uh, the groups fighting this are from Maine, and they're using Maine resources to fight this. Let me address the issue of out-of-state money, because I think it can be mischaracterized. The concern you're uh, is rooted in something your initial caller raised, the idea of local control. 
I'm not from this part of Maine, but I think if I showed up at your town meeting and said, hey, you guys should raise your property taxes by 70%, and it'll all be for a good cause, but you guys should raise your taxes by 70%, I think people in your town meeting would immediately say, are you from here? Are you going to live with the consequences? You're asking us to change our rule book, but you're not from here, and you're not going to have to live under these rules. The concern, maybe it is not always uh, clearly expressed with out-of-state money, is that it is coming from folks who are telling us what our rule book should be, but they weren't, they're not going to have to live with it themselves. They're not going to have to pay the tax rate. And it, it is in the spirit of local control that, unfortunately, uh, referendum debates are really fought on TV. Okay, we're getting into so, another another issue here, and I want to get to the other points that were raised by this uh, this caller. One of the things about funding from out of state, however, is that if you have only the wealthy people in the state can promote anything, and the grassroots groups can't get any funding from anywhere else, and the grassroots groups will never be able to accomplish anything. So that argument comes up a lot. I don't want to get into that because that's a separate issue, but I do want to get to the next point that was raised by that caller, which is the possible HIPAA violations and the mm. confidentiality questions that have been raised about names being shared, because that comes up quite a bit. Uh, again, Mike Tipping, we'll start with you. Sure, and maybe I'll just start. Quick response. I mean, 70,000 people signed this to place it on the ballot. Hundreds of volunteers went and collected those signatures. It was one of the most emotional experiences I've ever had in my life, people coming up just crying and telling their stories about trying to keep their loved ones at home. This is a Maine-based, Maine-fueled referendum endorsed by the Maine Alliance for Retired Americans, the Maine Council of Churches, the Maine teachers, uh, nurses, you know, SEIU, they have plenty of workers in Maine. I'm one of them, you know, that are supporting this, even if, you know, the check is from their national group. Um, on the, the lies about the HIPAA violation, so first of all, HIPAA is a federal law. Of course, we can't violate on the state level. Nothing would be, be done to do that way. It's your Privacy, Confidentiality, Healthcare, Portability Act. Exactly. Thank you for, for uh, saying the acronym there. Um, and this is something that, you know, we've talked to both in-state and national experts about making sure that nothing in here would violate it. The thing he's talking about is that there's that election for the board that makes sure that people that are receiving these services can have a voice in their provision and in that rulemaking. And we think that is incredibly important, that they should be allowed to be part of that election, that they should get information about it, but they can, uh, that is also voluntary. They don't have to if they don't want to. Um, Judith Lickman, who is uh, an amazing advocate and attorney and actually was one of the people that wrote the privacy protections of the HIPAA law, um, she gave a great quote uh, a couple months ago and said, as a lawyer who has helped develop the privacy protections in the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, I believe this important initiative protects the privacy and dignity of seniors and Mainers with disabilities. Is it true, though, that they have to opt out rather than opt in? That's problematic. Well. I mean, they they opt they can opt out if they want, but that nothing about the uh, health specific information is being shared at all. So, it, at, to that point, it's it's not any kind of thing of concern with the HIPAA law. And then, after that, even if they don't want to get an email about the election, they don't have to. Yeah, let Jeff me Austin. clarify a few things. First of all, his out of state activist expert did not say that this was compliant with HIPAA. So let's unpack it a little bit for your listeners. I'm not a HIPAA law she does expert. Uh, that's not the quote you gave, I, or I, she gave. She does. <laughs> uh, so let me please address this. 
I'm not a HIPAA law expert. We deal with it. Our members deal with it all the time. We hired one to look at this. And our HIPAA law expert, who we made publicly available to the press for questioning, which Mr. Tipping has not done with his, they we are, did. She's made absolutely that, Please don't interrupt me. I don't interrupt you. <laughs> our expert was made publicly available for questioning. And she raised a number of concerns. But let me t- tell your listeners what's going to happen. The private health information, the protected health information, namely your name, address, phone number, and the fact that you're receiving services from the government will be shared with people without your prior consent. That is factually true. What HIPAA requires, as I understand it, again, I'm not an expert, is that before anything about your care is shared with anyone, you have to provide as the patient your prior authorization. It is an opt-in system. You have to say yes first. What Mr. Tipping's proposal says is that you may opt out. There's actually some debate about whether you fully can opt out from your information being shared, but let's just put that debate aside for a second. I don't even think it is a complete opt-out system. An opt-out system, as I understand it, is not HIPAA compliant. So what does that mean? Elderly residents receiving services are going to get a knock on the door from someone they don't know looking to run for an office. And that uh, individual, that patient, that elderly woman is going to say, who are you, why are you here, and how do you know I'm receiving government services? Now, the office you're talking about, just to clarify for people who aren't really deep in the weeds in this, you're talking about the board that would oversee this. And part of this is to try to make it so that the overseers are elected and, and controlled by the people who are receiving the services and providing the services. So it seems like it has a good intent of being inclusive. The question is uh, opting, having your name be provided unless you opt out of that rather than having to sign a uh, a waiver saying that you're okay with it. The other question that comes up for me, being someone who does work in the healthcare field in another life, is whether or not these particular individuals will all have capacity to actually do that. Right. So, I mean, does that is this something that might be tweaked later on, or is it something that you think might need to be? No, I mean, the information that we're be? talking about would not even be subject to HIPAA. So the whole conversation that we're But the fact somebody's receiving in services point. in and of itself is HIPAA covered. Right, but there are lots of lists that are created of those kind of things. And the fact that the board has access to them is not a HIPAA violation. So, I mean, we've, I, I've, you know, read the quote, uh, Judith Lickman helped to write that law. There's other, many other national experts that we've talked to, including those that served in both the Trump and Obama administrations that say this is absolutely not any kind of federal violation. And even if it was, if it was found out to be that way, obviously it could not happen then. You know, it would just be uh, you know, resolved in that way. Okay. So I mean, the idea that, just again, this is a scare tactic. This is not true. It's something that could not and would not ever happen. And the fact that they're trying to focus on these kind of things instead of the real issues here, which is the home care crisis, and making sure that our tax system is a little bit more fair. I'm going to remind listeners, you're listening to Main Currents and WERU. We have about 20 minutes left of the program and only about 10 minutes left to take calls. So if you uh, do have a question about question one on Maine's ballot coming up on Tuesday, if you're still not sure uh, where where you stand, you don't have to be deep into it like we're getting today. (laughs) If you have a basic question about it, uh, give us a call now, 469-0500. 
Again, 469-0500, right into the studio. Joel will put you through, and you can ask questions of my guest today, Mike Tipping, who is with... Uh, the group that is supporting this group, Mainers for Home Care, who's supporting this question. And also we have Jeff Austin with us, who's with Maine Hospital Association, one of the folks who's behind the No on One campaign. This is a confusing question. We had a few listeners say that they uh, still didn't know where they stood on this, so that's why we're trying to provide this opportunity. I want to have each of you address the national significance of this. Uh, mm-hmm. Why is it that, uh, and we'll start with Mike Tipping, who's promoting it, why is it that uh, you are getting funding from outside groups. Why are they willing to back this? Well, we've been so proud to see people across the country take interest in this and realize that Maine is doing something pretty cool here, that we have, as the oldest state in the country, you know, an opportunity to make sure that that is not a burden, that that is something that we embrace and that we um, you know, engage with in a positive way. And that can be a lesson for states across the country that are facing similar demographic changes, maybe not quite as fast as ours. So um, Caring Across Generations was one of the first um, supporters of this referendum. Uh, They've done incredible work across the country. Um, PHI, which are the national experts on the workforce issues that have to do with home care, endorsed this early. Just this week, we had uh, Seth Rogen and his wife do a video um, they have been Alzheimer's advocates. They founded Hilarity for Charity and focused on home care issues. So it's it's cool that people are recognizing that. It's a Maine-based initiative. You know, that is uh, where it was first proposed was, you know, Drew Gatine, chair of the Appropriations Committee, put this forward as legislation. Then it came back uh, when that didn't go forward, was placed on the ballot by Maine-based volunteers and organizations here, has the support of more than 60 Maine-based organizations. But our motto as a state is dear ago. We have this uh, problem that we're facing that other people are going to be facing soon, and I think it's important and it's um, laudatory that we are leading on that, making sure that people stay in their homes, seniors, veterans, people with disabilities. It's something we can do here and that can spread across the country. Uh, let, let Jeff me, Austin, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't, know Darigo, I didn't know Darigo stood for Seth Rogen leads. Um, let me address the issue of who's endorsing our position the current Republican governor, Governor LePage, the immediately preceding Democrat governor, Governor Baldacci, the preceding independent governor, now U.S. Senator Angus King, the future governor, whoever that may be, Republican, Democrat, or independent, all four, now three, gubernatorial candidates oppose this question. The Senate president, who is a Republican, opposes this referendum. The House speaker, who is a Democrat, opposes this referendum. Mr. Tipping brought up the issue of the Portland Press-Herald several times. The Portland Press-Herald opposed this referendum. The Bangor Daily News opposed this referendum. I don't have the list in front of me, but I believe every paper that has taken a position, I don't know that for sure, I've been told this secondhand, has opposed this referendum. Mr. Tipping is right. He has a list of luminaries from out of state who are not following what Maine is doing, but are trying to influence what Maine is doing. We have groups that are experienced in public policy who have a stake in the outcome. They actually have a stake in the outcome of this election, and they almost unanimously oppose this referendum. So I'm glad that the issue of who is on whose side uh, is relevant to this conversation. So on that... I am I happy to stipulate to that. that politicians generally don't like it when people take issues into their own hands. They've, uh, those same folks have uh, 
gone against many of the recent referendums. They've still passed. I think it's important that people take these issues into their hands when the legislature hasn't acted. And that's the case here. Over the ten last 10 years, we've actually seen us go backwards. We've actually cut money from home care. We've put more into nursing homes. And we've even cut, uh, you know, refused to send out bonds for senior housing. We've even cut meals on wheels. So the idea, you know, and I, I take it, you know, with a bit of hope that some people still think the legislature can handle this issue. But I think the evidence is clear that they haven't. I think that's a bit naive to think that. I think we are facing a crisis, and that's why we need to act. And the um, main base groups that support this, the Main Alliance for Retired Americans, the Main Council of Churches, the Main Education Association, teachers, nurses, people in Maine that are dealing with this issue every day, they're the ones that are saying we need to go forward. Um, and the idea that putting $180 million into the home care system would somehow have adverse consequences for people being able to access home care is ludicrous. The groups that are against this are the same ones that have opposed any tax increase for the wealthy. And they've even admitted that even if all their other objections were set aside, even if that they were, you know, 100% sure that the tax was only on those 2.6%, then, well, your, your side has said this very clearly, uh, including the, the lobbyists for the nursing homes, they would still oppose this precisely because they oppose any tax on the wealthy. If, if there were no tax increase, we would oppose this because the program that's being set up is untested, unfocused, wasteful, violation, violates privacy, and lacks basic standards of uh, accountability that have been established for every single general government board that has ever been established in the state of Maine. So we would oppose it on the non-tax issues alone. Um, I don't know where he's getting his statistics from about cutting home care. I, I don't know that that's accurate. The last session was all about finding money for home care so that they, Medicaid, can fund the minimum wage increase that's going into law. So they have found more money for home care. Obviously, because there are wait lists for services, more money may be needed. But that's for existing programs under existing systems, not under this new system. So the way that this can cause harm, and which is why the existing provider agencies have concerns, is that it diverts us from those who are truly in need. It diverts us from a system where the federal government, Medicaid, oftentimes picks up two-thirds of the cost. If you have a program such as this, which by its very terms prohibits taking into income into account, it goes so far as to say you may not take into income into account. That's going to exclude you from Medicaid participation, which is a need-based program. That means resources that could have been used to draw down federal money and expand the reach of our tax dollars can't be used in that way. So there are a lot of concerns uh, with the way this program is designed. It is not simply the tax, which would be the biggest tax increase on small businesses and families in Maine's history. It is more than that. So say this passes. Uh, there are, like I said, there's, with anything like this, there are several pages of details that go beyond the simple question that you see on the ballot. So if you want to look that up, you can, I'll put a link to that, uh, the archives of today's program. And also, if you go to WERU's Facebook page with a post about today's show, you'll also see that there are links to the Facebook groups for both of these, uh, the yes on one and the no on one people to get more information. But say this does pass. What uh, is this something that the legislature is going to uh, uh, be able to 
make acceptable to both sides? I mean, what, what's the next step? Mike Tipping, you're up next. Well, we don't think they need to make any changes. Um, we think the program obviously is, is constructed in a, in a good way. Um, obviously, any referendum, though, only has the force of statute. We've seen that with other referendums being changed or rolled back over time. So the legislature could make uh, changes if they wanted to. But we have a good roadmap forward for implementation here. You know, the Muskie School and their researchers were very clear about how exactly this would enhance existing programs, draw down additional federal funds, fill in those gaps. I think the need here, both in a systemic way, you know, talking about the number of people that need care, and in a very personal way, I mean, we've heard some, from some of the callers that have been trying to, to care for their loved ones. You know, and I hear every day from people that are making impossible choices about this. That is clear. And we have a choice on Tuesday whether we go forward and we make a, a big step towards making sure people can stay in their own homes or we stick with the status quo, which is going backwards. Um, and that's the Medicaid study that just came out that said we're spending less on home care than we were before. The only time we've had actually an investment in home care at all, and that's the one that, that Jeff mentioned, was increasing reimbursement rates because the minimum wage had increased and home care workers were making so little that they were hitting that threshold. So the only time this issue has seen improvement is when voters took the issue into their own hands. It's a question between making this better, helping people that need it, or staying stuck where we are. Okay, I'm going to give you both a couple minutes to wrap up, but I want to let Jeff yeah. respond to that question to say this passes on Tuesday. What's the next step for the no one one people? Yeah, a couple of things. What he said at the end is just patently untrue. The legislature has taken action on home care in the absence of citizen initiatives on the topic. That is just simply not true, and it has taken action at the urging of members of our coalition. Mr. Tipping's uh, organization has not been out there fighting for home care the way the members of our coalition have been for decades. So to say that only through them have gains come to home care is just patently untrue. As far as what happens uh, were this to be enacted, which I don't think it will, I think people will vote no on question one. The I, th I have heard inconsistent messages from Mr. Tipping today. One is, oh, we'll fix the tax piece oh, don't worry about the HIPAA law violation, that won't happen. And yet in another breath he says, politicians don't like being told what to do. I don't know what will happen in the future, but I can tell you exactly what has happened in the past in situations like this. Mr. Tipping's supporters have come to the State House and said, you don't respect the will of the voters. Don't touch this bill. Don't touch, even if it's got major flaws, don't touch it. You're not respecting the will of the voters. That's what's going to happen. And fixing problems in this bill will be very difficult. Okay. You each have about two minutes to wrap up, give contact information. And uh, we're going to go opposite from how we started. So Jeff Austin from Maine Hospital Association, uh, go ahead. Uh, you have a couple minutes to uh, wrap up. Thank you for having me. And thank you for having shows like this. Unfortunately, uh, referendum questions are often decided by dueling 30-second TV ads and that's a function of how much money you can raise. And, and that's a shame. We should have more conversations in depth like this, which this bill has never received, unfortunately. No public hearing, no public conversation, no public input. Our coalition of Maine-based organizations works every day to make Maine better. They're out there creating jobs, providing services, and doing home care work. Our coalition is very concerned that question one will harm Maine. 
It'll harm our economy, it is bad government, and it can in some ways even harm those it seeks to serve. We are strongly opposed to question one. Let's build on the successes we've had. Let's not jeopardize what, what is working in Maine for an untested, out-of-state idea that's never been tried anywhere. So please join us in voting no on question one. And for more information, where would you direct people for your uh, point of view? Our, our website, our social media, uh, stopthescammaine.com, uh, I believe. Okay, thank you. And Mike Tipping from uh, the uh, group pro- promoting question one, your final thoughts. Absolutely. So, care. I mean, I talked, actually heard from this morning from a, a 63-year-old veteran in Reedfield um, who is dealing, you know, Gulf War veteran, dealing not just with um, her spouse who is dying and she's trying to, to care for her, but also for her mother, um, you know, who worked at a convenience store all her life and is in her 90s and is just, you know, the care that she needs, those basic things, bathing and, and feeding, um, she is just beside herself that she can't provide them and she doesn't have the options. And she's looked into those programs and she's tried it. And she even, you know, got uh, a nursing home for a little while and then they, they spend all their money and they have nothing left and they can't support it. So, I mean, the idea that we would turn that aside because of the scare tactics as they've been labeled by, you know, some of the newspapers and some of the experts across the state, um, the confusion that the those groups that are against the wealthy paying even just a little bit more in taxes, making our system more fair, is ridiculous. Like, we have a chance here to move forward I don't think we need to make any changes to this, but we're happy to stipulate that the tax only affects the top 2.6%. I think the fact that the other side won't take yes for an answer on that shows some of the basic dishonesty here. I think it's unfortunate the nursing home lobby has been fighting so hard to stop uh, a proposal that would help people stay in their homes. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to, are you happy with the status quo, the way things are now, with so many seniors and veterans facing these choices? You know, 50% of people in Maine have either been caregivers themselves or have um, received care. We know what this issue means to Maine families. We know what it means to our economy. We know what it means having some good caregiving jobs doing that vital work can mean too. And that's the question that's on the ballot is question one on Tuesday. Are we going to go forward or are we going to go backwards? All right. And where would you direct people for more information from your side? Uh, MainersForHomeCare.org. All right. And it looks like a call is coming in, but it's too late because we are out of time. So hopefully that clarified uh, some of question one for listeners. And uh, like I said, we will put up the archives of today's program by later in the day. The uh, Facebook pages for both of these groups are mentioned in the link on our Facebook page right now. So you can go to that and find links to both sides. Uh, I'd like to thank Mike Tipping from Mainers for Home Care and Jeff Austin from the Maine Hospital Association for joining me today in the studio. Joel Mann was our engineer. You can catch Maine Currents at our regular time next month, back to uh, the first Thursday of every month from 10 to 11 for independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for On the Wing with Melisenda coming up next here on your community radio station, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Thanks for listening.